morning. Turn with me in your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, look at verses 13 through 16. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. This continues uh, one sermon that Jesus gave on top of a mountain, which is several chapters long, and it'll take us about six months to get through it, but he gave it probably in one sitting, maybe over the course of a few days. And so just remember, as we're, as we're going through these chapters over the next few months, Jesus gave it in all one, it's all one sermon. It's all one teaching, so let's not divide it up too sharply. So last week we talked about the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, pure in hearts, peacemakers, and those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. That tells you the kind of person you're supposed to be. That's your guideline for life. Everything you need to know about being a Christian and how, about ethically how you should live is laid out there. So he starts the sermon off uh, like a good speaker does by telling you what he's going to say. And then the rest of the sermon, the rest of these passages, are hit, is, is Jesus explaining and expounding it. And so in our passage today, he, a, he answers the question that we should be asking, what is our role as those who are trying to live the Beatitudes, the, these list of uh, ethical standards, what's our role or relationship with the world, with those who are not living this way? So let's read what it says. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is in good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So as we seek to be a certain kind of person, a person that's following the kingdom life, as Jesus laid out, how do we relate to those who are not following that lifestyle? So the kingdom of heaven has citizens who are characterized by meekness, by humility, by love, by compassion, but then you have another kingdom, the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of the earth. And they're not marked by those things. They're marked by earthly concerns. And yet we all live in the same place. It's not like earthly kingdoms where you may never visit those other kingdoms. But in the spiritual kingdoms, we live right next to each other. So what's our job? What's our role? What's our relationship? How do citizens of the kingdom live among citizens of the earth? This passage tells us three things. We are called by Jesus to do three things. Be different, be engaged, and believe Jesus. Very simple, isn't it? Very simple, but it's not easy. Simple and easy are two different things. So look what the Bible says. First of all, be different. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. An ancient Roman uh, scientist, I guess you could call him, said, named Pliny, says nothing is more useful than salt and sunshine. So we just we understand if you ever worked a night shift, it affects you. 
There's nothing like coming out into the sunshine when it's an overcast day versus a sunny day. Or if you cook food, there's the salted food and the unsalted food. Everyone knows that salt is just, that's just a part of life. So when he uses these illustrations, he's using natural illustrations that everyone understands. That's how you know Jesus is a great teacher, because he's not difficult to understand. He goes, you've seen light, haven't you? You've had salt. Okay, let's, let's work from something we all know. So what is it about salt and light that characterizes Christians? Well, there's a fundamental difference between salt and everything else. See, that's what, what he's saying about Christians. At its core, there's a fundamental difference. What does salt do? Okay, so we use salt for seasoning, for taste. That's part of it. But in the ancient world, with no refrigerators, with no preservatives, salt was to stop decay. That's what you use salt for. Salted pork. You ever had beef jerky? Salted meats were preserved longer. So you lived in a Middle Eastern climate where it's hot a lot of the times, there's no refrigerators, your meat didn't keep very long. So you would salt it. So when he says you are the salt of the earth, he said you are to do what salt does, which is prevent and slow down decay. Now, salt does not reverse decay. And Christians will never reverse the evil in this world. But it slows it down. And how does it slow it down? By being salt not by being the meat. If it was just the same as the meat, it wouldn't do anything. So salt is fundamentally different than what it's salting. Same with light. What is it about light that makes it special? It's not darkness. So when Jesus says you are the light of the world, he says you are not the world, you're the light. The world is characterized by darkness. Christians are characterized by light. So to be the kind of person that Jesus is calling us to be, we have to remember that if we're like the world, then what's the purpose? What's the difference? What's the distinction? He says here, if salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Or how shall it be salted? If the salt's gone, what do you do? So when we look at our lives, we ask, are we the same as the world? Or is there a fundamental difference? So he says, if you're the same, if, it's, if salt loses flavor. Now, this is ancient salt. It's not salt like we have. It was very impure. And it would, the, the salt, it was actually a multiple, multiple kinds of chemicals put together. And so the salt could be leached out. So this compound that you had, which was salty, when it loses its saltiness, what did it become? Basically sand. Well, if you wanted salt and you got sand... What would you do with the sand? You toss it out the door. If Christians are not different than the world, then they're not Christians. And we can apply this. If the things that we have and are using as Christians is not helping us be different than the world, then we need to get rid of them. I just saw a video this week of a church that has had a had a history of abuse. And the new pastor got up a few months ago and and sort of called it out and repented of it. And and then the church has been around for a long time, very famous church. He said, we're changing the name of the church. He says, because that old name was not different than the world. 
Now, it, it said church on it, but it was not a Christian church. And so he said, what do you do when something's no longer Christian? Get rid of it. So they changed the name of the church because the name wasn't Christian anymore. You can call something by a Christian name. You can call it a church, but when it ceases to be churchy, you toss it out. So that's what he's saying here. When something ceases to be different, distinct, you get rid of it. You don't just keep it because of sentimentality or tradition or because it looks nice. If it loses its salt, it isn't good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Kingdom living, which is what the king is calling us to do, is different at a fundamental level, and we should embrace that. So much of what we do is, is try to fit in. You ever, you ever feel uncomfortable when you go somewhere new? And the first thing you're looking for is, what do I need to do to not stand out? What do I need to say? What do I need to wear? Who do I need to talk to? Where do I need to stand? I don't want to be sort of out of place, which is natural in sort of social settings. But if we transfer that into our ethical life, into our Christian living, we've left the kingdom. So we need to embrace that as Christians, we live at a fundamentally different level. That is what it means to be Christians. See, this didn't happen with the Jews. This is a warning to us that we can have all the elements of Christianity, but not be Christian. So Jesus, uh, Paul writes to the, to the Romans. He said, but if you call yourself a Jew, and this was a time where the Jews were the only one who had the Bible, and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Doesn't that all sound good? It is good. And that's how the Jews thought of themselves, as a light to those who are in darkness. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourselves? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? There's a difference between claiming and holding to principles and actually living them. And it's real easy for those of us in church settings, Bible believers, to affirm all the right things but not do them. Living the Christian life is not about saying the right things. It's about living the right way. And it's easy for us, and the longer you're in church, the easier it gets to know the right answer, to right, know the right beliefs. And you can actually use knowledge as a way to stop living according to Christ. You can use sound doctrine to put a barrier between living right. This is the danger that the Bible's warning us about. The Jews had fallen to this camp. They knew the law. They approved what is excellent, and yet they were far from the kingdom of heaven. Do not trust in your knowledge, especially if you have a lot of it. Those of you who are well-versed in Scripture, you are in greater danger of trusting in that knowledge. Knowledge is a means to God. The Bible is a means to God. 
Don't make it an end in itself, or you will become part of the darkness. A Pharisee. So what we do is we don't just say the right things, but we live a certain way. We create a subculture, a counterculture. Uh, there was a man named Vaclav Havel, who was the president of the Czech Republic and Czechoslovakia before that. So Czechoslovakia was ruled by the communists for 40 years. Terrible, oppressive regime. But in 1989, they were liberated with no violence. Now, if you know anything about communism and its rule over people, it's a violent regime. And yet the Czech people were able to resist it and toss it out of power with no violence. It's called the Velvet Revolution because of how peaceful it was. And so Václav Havel was the leader. He was the president. And they asked him, how did you manage to kick out communism, change the whole government with no violence? And he said, we had our parallel society. And in that parallel society, we wrote our plays and sang our songs and read our poems until we knew the truth so well that we could go out into the streets of Prague and say, we don't believe your lies anymore. And communism had to fall. You see what happened? They didn't just believe the truth. They trained themselves in the truth. They rehearsed the truth so that when they went out, they could see the lies. And they lived a different way. They said, we don't believe your lies anymore. Why? Because they had lived a certain way. They had created a separate culture. And so that the false culture could not stand against it. Communism had to fall. That's what Jesus is calling us to do here. To be different than the world so that we can preserve the world. So that we can push back against the darkness. So we sort of revel in our difference. We take pride in the fact that we live a different way. We are called to be a peculiar people in the sense of not like other people. And here's where we have to be careful especially our church. Just being different isn't the goal. It's the kind of difference. So when you say, okay, so we're supposed to be different, how? The previous passage. Peaceful, merciful, meek, peacemakers. You know what it doesn't talk about? What the world is doing. And this is the danger that conservatives fall into. The world is doing that, so we're going to do this. You see what just happened? You're just countering the world. You're letting the world set the agenda. The world dresses this way, so we'll dress this way. Well, who's setting the agenda? The world listens to this music or goes to these places, so we'll go to these places and listen to this music. That's not what Christ is calling us to do. He's not, say, he's not saying, look at the world and do something different. He's saying, look at the scripture and follow it. Because the world is not poor in spirit. They do not mourn. They are not merciful. They are not meek. Whatever clothes, places, music, books they read or, or look at, they are not peacemakers. So when we live this way, we will be different than the world. And we have to constantly remind ourselves that it's not difference as a goal. It's difference as a result. You don't need to try to be different. You just follow the scripture and you will be different. Don't let the world set the agenda. Tertullian, who was an African church father, said, 
It is mainly the deeds of love so noble that lead many to put a brand on us. See, they say, how they love one another. For the world themselves are animated by mutual hatred. See how they are ready even to die for one another, another. For the world themselves would rather put to death. The values that we have, love one for another, humility, love for God, create the difference. Not the superficial stuff. And that's a danger that Americans have, is to look superficially different, but inwardly the same. We must be on guard against the constant pressure of sin to make us look like the world. Now, where does this pressure come from? Wherever sin is found. Wherever sin is found, there is pressure to assimilate into the world. Now, where is sin found? It's found in the world for certain. And so you'll get pressure from the outside to say, Christians, stop being so Christian. But I think the greater danger is where sin is found in our hearts. And your heart will tell you, stop doing this. You don't need to be this way. You can be different, but you don't have to be so different. The culture that we live in will constantly pressure us to assimilate. That's what culture does. It causes us to fit in. And if we're not looking for it, we'll never see it. Again, I go back to this illustration over and over again. Two fish in the water. One fish passes the other and says, how's the water? And the other fish says, what's water? That's what becomes a people who don't look out for pressure. You don't even know it's there. You don't even realize that your whole life has been shaped subtly and quietly by those around you, by sin, by your own heart. So we go back to the scripture. What does God say? He says, be different. Be proud of being different. Why? Because we follow the king. We live in the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of earth. And what does different look like? It looks like the Beatitudes. It looks like what this passage says about mercy and peace and love, and righteousness. When we live that way, we will be different. But notice what else it says. Yes, salt is different, and light is different. At a fundamental level, it has to be, or it has no purpose. But you know what else it is? It's engaged. It's diffused. It's integrated into the, the place where it is. When you salt a piece of meat, if you like to smoke meat, I like to smoke meat. And you have a rub that you, you create with salt and pepper and sort of things. And what do you do with it? You don't dump it on the middle of the meat and then put the meat to cook. Who cooks like that? Have you ever had someone who cooked like that? And you're like, this is kind of bland. And then you take the bite where all the seasoning is. Whoa, there it all is, all in one place. So you're laughing with acknowledgement. What do you do with it? You spread it. Where do you spread it? Over everything. Where does salt go? In the, when you want to preserve meat, where does the salt go? Where the decay is. That's where you put it. Where the decay is. Where does light go? If I lit a candle right now, every one of you would say, what's that for? You don't need a candle in here, do you? 
You need a candle where it's dark. You need salt where there's decay. So where should Christians be? Everywhere where there's darkness and decay. Every single place. You are the salt of the earth. The salt of what? The earth. Where's the earth? That's everywhere you could ever be. So where should Christians be? Everywhere. Not concentrated into its one community, one town. Everywhere. Wherever you see darkness, that's where you should be. Wherever you see sin, that's where you should be. Salt goes where the decay is and light goes where the darkness is. In fact, isolating yourself from sinful people, from darkness, is the opposite of following Christ. Following Christ means doing what Christ did and what Christ commands. What did Christ do? He went into the world. He lived among the people. He went to where the people were. And so he says, if you were to be salt, you have to go everywhere. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. I'm going to live like Jesus, but, in a, but I'm going to hide. I'm going to live like Jesus, but only around people who live like Jesus. Well, what's the point? You're to shine the light of Christ out, but then you put yourself among people who already know it? What about people who don't know it? Why light a candle and put it under a basket? I think many of us would prefer to do that. And many of us have been taught to do that. To stay away from the darkness. To stay away from the world. To stay away from the things that are dangerous and harmful. But Joe Capiolo, who's a Zambian Baptist, says, It is the nature of light to illuminate, to give guidance in darkness. In the same way, the disciple has to be visible. Secret discipleship is not biblical. That's why Jesus is using the concept of a light. A light under a basket doesn't make any sense. And a Christian who's not in the world doesn't make any sense. Does the world need light? Does the world need Jesus? Who's going to take it to them? Bonhoeffer, who died in a Nazi jail, said flight into the invisible is a denial of the call. A community of Jesus who seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. So here's the call. It's not just be different, but go be different among people. Go into the world and be different. How? The first way is to recognize what it looks like to be different. You don't go to be different. You just are different. You don't say, where am I going to exercise meekness? What geographical location should meekness be exercised? You, you just are meek. So, Love one another. Does that include your family? Does the world need to see what it looks like to love a family? Where are they going to see that? Where do you love your family? Think about how you engage with your family. Where is that? And what would it take for the world to see that? Husbands, love your wives. Absolutely. You know where I mostly love my wife? At home, right? That's where I spend most of the time with her. Of course, when we go out sometimes, but 90% of the time, it's at home. So if I want the world to see Christ, 
What am I going to have to do? I'm going to have to invite the world into my home so that they can see me be loving. What does it look like for a Christian to raise kids? Does the world need any help raising kids? Does the Bible have answers? Do kids need to be raised with with meekness and humility and love and kindness? Where do you raise your kids? For those of us for those of you who have kids, don't you raise them at home? So if you want the world to see how you raise kids, you need to invite the world into your life. Now, a lot of times that'll be out. A lot of times it'll be at home. You see what Christ is saying? He's saying this is a tough life. This is an open life. You have to invite the world to look at you as you live. Where is darkness? Darkness is in homes. Darkness is in marriages. Darkness is at work. So go there or bring people to where the light is. Imagine you're in a house and the light is in the room and there are people outside in the dark. What would you do? You would say, come in where we can see each other. That's what Christians are called to do. It's difficult. It's dangerous. But it is what it means to follow Christ. And when we start realizing that our job is to share Christ with others and not be comfortable, we realize what we're supposed to do. A.T. Robertson says, light shines to see others by, not to call attention to itself. You're not a Christian so that people can say, oh, look, he's a Christian. No one lights a candle so everyone can look at the candle. What's this verse say? Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Maybe no one's glorifying God because Christians are hidden. Maybe the family in America is falling apart because Christian families are hiding. All the problems that we have with America, all the decay, the decline we see, whose job is it to stop that? Not the government, not work, not the Elks Club, not the schools. It's Christians in the world. And not by preaching to the world. By living in the world. By being salt. By being light. Chrysostom wrote 2,000 years ago, For when men see us despising all things present and preparing ourselves for that which is to come, our actions will persuade them sooner than any discourse. Let your light so shine that they may see your good works. He goes on, But if we entangle ourselves in things present, and plunge ourselves into them more and more, how will it be possible for the world to be persuaded that we are hastening to another sojourn? If your life is so invested in the things of this earth, then you tell people, I'm looking for heaven, they're going to say, doesn't look like it. Looks like you're mostly invested in the things of this world. But when you start doing things that are not beneficial to yourself, but are beneficial to others, people cannot ignore that. When you open up your house to invite people into it, that sends a message in this world we live in, the most isolated world that may have ever existed. I'm not sure I can find another historical example of a more isolated culture than ours. You know why suicides are tripling? Because people are isolated. There's no community anymore. There's no connection. The only connection we have is superficial. Social media, 
driving down the road, politics, and look what that causes. Road rage, online bullying, the political situation we're in. It's superficial community. Real community invests yourself into long-term relationships. You know why you put up with your family? Because of your family. You can't just dump a long relationship like that because you don't like the president or you do like the president. You're like, look, we're going to have to agree to disagree. Christians should be modeling what it looks like to be a family that's not built on blood. Long-term relationships that are built on love for one another. But we have to go out into the world to let them see it. It's hard. It's simple, but it's hard. How do we let our light shine? I don't think the problem really is creativity. It's not a lack of will, or it's not a lack of ideas. It's a lack of will. Like, I don't know how to do it. Is it because you don't want to do it? And the easiest answer is, well, I can't think of anything right now, so I guess we can't do it. But that's because the culture has shaped you to not shine your light. Satan is at work in the world, and sin is at work in your heart to isolate your light, to put a basket over it. So every excuse that you come up with to isolate yourself, to be separate, is a work of sin. And there'll always be plenty of excuses, and they'll always seem very reasonable and very normal. So what are you going to do about it? You should realize first that this is an entire life that has to be changed. And you may ask yourself, ah, this is too much, this is too much. You see what he's saying? You are to be the salt of the whole earth. You're supposed to turn, slow down the tide of sin. How? Come to our third point. Believe Jesus. Trust Jesus. You know who he spoke this to? He's sitting on a mountain. Who is he talking to? Who's the audience that he's talking to? A bunch of country folks in a oppressed country with no money. They didn't live in the big city. They were not powerful. They were not well-connected. They, had no, they were not rich. They were not a powerful country. They were marginalized, oppressed, and not very many of them. But yet he looked at him and said, you are the light of the world. Not the Roman government, not the people in Jerusalem, you on this hillside. Now, can you imagine what they thought? This is it? I have nothing. I have no resources. I have no influence. I have no natural charismatic ability to draw people to myself. I'm not very good with people. I don't know how to do these things. Yes, Jesus still said, you are the light of the world. Jesus has declared that you are powerful. He didn't say you might be, if you work hard, the salt of the earth. He said you are the salt of the earth. You right here have been declared by Jesus to be the most powerful force in this world against sin. Now, you can believe Jesus or you cannot, but he has said it. You are the light of the world. Do you believe Jesus or do you believe yourself? Because if you're honest with yourself, you said, I can't do much. Because, And if you're older, you've I've said, I've tried. My family won't even listen to me. 
So believe yourself or believe Jesus. Jesus has declared that you are the most powerful force in this world. More powerful than the government. More powerful than culture. More powerful than any other spiritual force. You are the salt of the earth. You are the thing that keeps this world from being destroyed. Do you believe that? If you don't believe it, repent. Repent of your sin. Repent of your pride. Repent of your false humility. Repent of your self-centeredness. And look to the king who has declared that he has created the world, he has died for the world, and he has told us that we are that force that will preserve the world. He has empowered us. Now, you're right that we cannot do it. And isn't it interesting he said you are the light of the world, but in the previous chapter it says that the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sit in the region of the shadow of death, light has dawned. That's Jesus. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. John 1 says that he is the light that came into the world to light all men. And here he's saying we are the light of the world. You see the connection? If Jesus is the sun, then we're the moon. Now, on a moonlit night, it's bright. You can see. You can walk around. You're not going to trip over stuff. We are the light of the world because we have Jesus. And if Jesus is powerful enough to save the world, he's powerful enough to light us. He said, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. I will cause you to grow. Do you believe Jesus? Do you believe that he's powerful enough to die for the world, to be resurrected, and to empower you? Is he that powerful? Is he so powerful that he can even use your life to protect those around you? To enlighten those around you? He doesn't give any qualifications here. He doesn't say, you who are educated are the salt of the earth. You who are talented are the light of the world. There's no qualifications for a Christian. If you have Christ, you are the light. Do you have Christ? Then you have the power to change those people around you. If you'll let them see your light. If you're willing to be radical. James Baldwin says, any real change implies the breakup of the world as one has always known it. The loss of all that gave one an identity. The end of safety. And at such a moment, unable to see and not daring to imagine what the future will now bring forth, one clings to what one knew or dreamed that one possessed. Yet it is only when a man is able, without bitterness or self-pity, to, to surrender a dream he has long cherished or a privilege he has long possessed that he is set free for higher dreams, for greater privileges. Until we're willing to give up those things that we thought would make us happy, the kind of home that we thought would make us happy, the kind of relationships at work, the kind of comfort lifestyle, once we can risk giving those up, then we can have Christ shine through us. This church right here, with the few members that we have who are not politically connected, who are not charismatic leaders, we can have an outside dramatic impact on the people in this area if you're willing to give up everything and follow Jesus. The Bible both warns us and promises us that Christ is the king, he is ruling, 
and it calls us to follow the king into the world and trust that the king will use you to change the world. Do you believe Jesus? Then follow him. Let's pray.